0: What's up guys, welcome to another edition of the Clinical Mastermind Podcast, I'm your host Dan Pringle, and today I speak with my guest Damian Allen on his journey from childhood injury to talented strength coach. What's up guys, it's Dan, welcome to another edition of the Clinical Mastermind Podcast, What I've got for you today is a conversation that I had with our personal trainer and strength coach at Endeavour, Damien Allen. He's a University of Toronto kinesiology graduate. He spent time lecturing in that program after graduating. He's been a trainer in several different settings. He's worked with uh, sports teams as a coach, as a strength consultant, and, and is someone who's just fascinated, like I am, with movement, with injury, with injury prevention, uh, especially when it comes to young athletes. Although he does work with uh, people of all kind of ages and backgrounds, and uh, and so I got a chance to meet him through a uh, actually a couple of patients at the clinic uh, about a year and a half ago. And what stood out right away is his passion and interest, and his willingness to just do whatever it took to um, t- to get better, to find out more about how we could influence the body and how to bring that information and that knowledge to the people who could make the most out of it, especially when it came to, uh, again, young athletes, parents, coaches, and so forth. Now, the other piece that stood out to me was his story, and that's what we really want to share with you in this particular podcast. He was someone who dealt with a long and pretty severe series of of injuries as a young athlete dating back to before he was 10 years old. That led to a couple of pretty significant avulsion fractures in his knees. Uh, He ended up missing quite a bit of time even though he was still a a very successful athlete uh, who's kind of borderline varsity level player by the time he makes it to university despite a pretty significant history. Um, And and what I really want to kind of highlight to you is that he's managed to take his journey uh, in dealing with his own symptoms and dealing with the environment in which he was, uh, was kind of brought up from a coaching and an athletic standpoint, and been able to bring that to his teams, to the athletes, and even to the actual uh, clinicians that he's worked with over time. And I think there's something special about the therapist or the movement specialist or the strength coaches who come from a background of injury. And the number one thing that stands out in their mind is how to improve upon the journey that an athlete takes, especially if they didn't have an ideal one. And that's exactly what I think you're gonna find in Damien's story here. So follow the journey with us. He's gonna start from the beginning when he first experiences pain. We're gonna dive into a little bit about what that felt like for him at the time, what he remembers about it and how that influenced where he is now. We're gonna talk about the journey he had after graduating and how he's gone out of his way to acquire new skill sets, learn from some of the best people around, and advocate for young athletes in different contexts. I'm sure there will be someone listening here who will have a similar journey, uh, who maybe had the same kind of situation uh, when they were growing up, and that's helped influence who they are and, and who they're trying to help I'd love to hear your stories, so please reach out to me. You can find uh, me online at dpringle.physio on Instagram. You can visit the website clinicalmastermind.com to find out some of the things that I'm doing from the mentorship and education standpoint, and you can email me at dan at clinicalmastermind.com. You can also find me on Twitter, on LinkedIn, I've got some YouTube stuff going on as well, so please make sure to check it out. Go ahead and rate the podcast as well as share some comments on iTunes, etc. And, uh, and please reach out to me. I'm, I'm looking forward to engaging more in the conversation, share it with anyone who you think would be relevant. And last of all, make sure that you are making a point to getting better every day. You're finding ways to improve yourself, improve your practice, and make sure that we're moving forward as, uh, as a profession, as an industry, when it comes to health, when it comes to fitness, when it comes to both injury management and injury prevention. And without further ado, please enjoy the podcast so i just want to kind of get get into it and uh, get going obviously um it's now been what a year and a half since you've been working yeah, with us yeah and uh it's it's been so good to learn together to share a lot of ideas and like we spend so much time just chatting uh about movement about injury about pain about young athletes so it just made sense for us to like record some of these conversations. Yeah, I'm pumped. So, Let's do it. Um, so, yeah, so you end up joining on because we were working with some volleyball players that uh, you were, I guess, coaching and doing strength and conditioning with, and that's how we got to know each other, but I know you, volleyball was big for you growing up. Was that your number one sport or was it basketball? I preferred basketball,
1: um, but it was one of those things where they, they told me I was better at volleyball, <laughs> and now's the time to choose, so I said, okay, volleyball it is.
0: So when did you decide it was volleyball?
1: Um, well, as we get more into my story, that will probably come up a bit more, but I was having a lot of injuries playing basketball, and for some reason, I didn't feel the same way while playing volleyball, so that was part of the decision, too. So, um, my grade ten year was my last year of competitive basketball.
0: Gotcha. Yeah. Well, that's, I mean, that's, what I think, was what's so compelling for from talking to you and hearing your story and how you got to where you are. Uh, I think that's something that a lot of people need to hear whenever we're in meetings, I'm always like, Damien, just tell your story because it really gives a good idea of where you came from, why you do what you do, why you're so passionate about it, uh, with young athletes, with injury prevention, with movement patterning, so uh, take it away. Sure. No, I I appreciate it.
1: Um, I guess I come from a pretty athletic family. We really prioritize sports, so sport was always a big thing growing up. Played a little bit of everything. Um, my brother is just a year older so there was always that natural competitiveness and we, you know, just spent all of our time outside playing sports against each other. Um, I was pretty athletic, I, I could move fast, I could produce a lot of force, um, but I started to get hurt quite often. My knees really started to bother me in grade four. Yeah, grade four. So grade you're like four. nine
0: years old? Yeah. And, and, and I
1: remember like the day. Okay, so
0: what was the day? Like, it was remember the, about the day? Is it like a traumatic event? Like, can you remember everything about it? Like, where you were, or, like the time of year, like.
1: Yeah, be, yeah, super weird
0: because it was during um, my
1: school would run like a track and field day. Right, I don't know exactly how that runs in public schools in Toronto, but in Guelph, um, there was a big day for all of the grades where we would compete in all of the track and field activities. And I remember just lining up for high jump. It was my favorite event, and it was my first jump. And I just, you know, I did my run, I did my jump, and as I took off, I just felt a ton of tension through my uh, patella tendon and just front of the knee. And from there, um, it kind of never let go.
0: Did you, uh, so right away, was there pain? You said tension? Yeah, it was was pain. It was pain right away. And Uh, was it enough that you needed to do something about it? Were you...
1: I had no idea what was going on, um, and I didn't really have the people around me to ask, and I'm super competitive and wanted to, you know, do well in all of the events for that day, so I just kind of pushed through. Mm. Um, But it, I remember it it hurt quite a bit, Um, and then that stuck with me. From, from then on, basically. Yeah. Anytime I would do anything kind of sprint-related or jumping-related, which was most of my sports, those <laughs> all the ones that I liked, <laughs> um, that would be the case. And then, yeah, it got so bad that in grade 8, I was at a basketball summer camp at the University of Guelph, um, and I just, I caught a pass at half court, I turned to push-off, and a fracture through my right leg was the
0: first one. Now, between grade four and grade eight, you yep. continue to have issues. Did you think you were broken? Did you care about it? Did you acknowledge it? Was it just part of life? Like, what was the deal there? Uh, I was, I thought it was growing pains. That's what I kept
1: being told.
0: Yeah, that's um, a real, I've had lots of people ask, uh, you, know, you know, how do you know it's an injury not growing pain? Yeah. So you were just being told it was growing pain this whole time. It's like, oh, you're growing, you're, you're yeah, you stretch know, more. other exactly,
1: stretch more. Here are a couple of you know glute activation drills, okay. sideline clams for you to do. Like you, you'll be fine. You're you're gonna be a tall kid. All tall kids deal with this stuff. Did you did you do the exercises? Yes. Okay. And
0: Cause most kids don't.
1: I I want to say I gave them a fair chance okay, okay. before. I don't know. I find I'm kind of. I'm an intuitive learner with my body, and if I keep doing something and it doesn't feel like it's helping in any way, then okay. it's hard to keep going. Um, so, you know, could I have kept doing more and eventually it would have stopped? Maybe, um, but from what I know now, I, I don't think that that was the case. I don't think there were any number of sideline clamshells that would would have taken away my knee
0: pain. Okay, so volgian fracture grade eight, half court. You catch a pass. What? What happens after that?
1: Um, I guess just dialing it back, because I didn't put a name on you know, what I had. Um, I was told that I had Osgood Schlatter's on okay. um, both sides. Growing
0: pains and Osgood Schlatter's on both sides. Yeah. Okay.
1: Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I caught the pass, um, turned, went to push off. To me, I thought someone had hit me with like a lead pipe. I heard a loud bang, um, and I went down, and I was looking around like, who, who hit me? And there's nobody close to you, right? Mm. So that that was, that was confusing, but whatever. Um, so I got my imaging done. Um, I saw the surgeon. They didn't think that I needed surgery just based off of the way that it broke. So they just put me, um, the first time in just a splint from hip down to my toe. And I was in that for, I don't know,
0: five, six weeks, maybe longer. Now, while like you're going through that process, you're, walking around with this splint on your whole leg, Yeah, are you are you thinking that you're going to get back 100% from this? Are you like, this is just part of the process? Are you starting it's, to think about your body differently at this point? I had no idea what was going on.
1: Um, and I remember, you know, when my mom was sitting in with me with the surgeon, she asked, like, can we expect this on the other side? Like, he has just as much knee pain on the other side. And the surgeon said... Um, I doubt it, but don't worry if it does happen, like, we'll fix him up. (laughs) We'll split his other (laughs) way. And and that was kind of... Right. So I was still just thinking, oh, like, this is maybe normal, even though I've never heard of anybody doing this like this. Um, but I still thought for me, it was just part of the process that I'll, I'll be okay. Yeah. Um, but basically I missed that whole, you know, grade eight year of sport. I couldn't really do much of anything with the rehab process, um... So that was tough. And then my grade nine year, I was back into sport pretty heavy. Things were looking good. Still a lot of pain, but I just pushed through. I iced a lot. I I had a lot of ibuprofen. I remember that <laughs> part of my high school life. Like I just, I just like, like all thing. day, all day, every day. And I didn't know that, that was bad. I was being told like, we just got to manage the swelling. So you need to. Take your ibuprofen, you need to ice your knees every night. you got to do these stretches, and you got to do your clamshells. Okay, I got you. What was
0: swelling? Were you, were you, did you have visible swelling in your knees?
1: Yeah, definitely. Okay, Quite puffy, both sides. So you're sides. like 14 years
0: old, and just like day-to-day, you have puffiness in your knees. And, and my you're ankles were really bad, too.
1: I guess that's probably where we should have started, because I no. think a lot of it was probably ankle stuff. Um, but yeah, a lot of puffy ankles. I would still roll my ankle... You know, almost daily, if I was doing anything, I could just be walking, uneven surface, and I would go over um, sports all the time. Mm. Um, But yeah, so lots of swelling at the ankles, the knees. Um, So that's grade 9. That was grade 9. Grade 10, um, I guess volleyball season would have been first, so things went pretty well. And then into basketball season, I made it through almost the whole year. First playoff game, warm-up lines. Um, just layup lines. I pushed off my left leg to do a layup, and pop. Same thing. Went down. Fell opposite side. side. Opposite side. So yeah, same exact injury, just opposite side. Um, this one was weird because because I I knew right away what I had done. Um, you know, I didn't I didn't express it the pain nearly as much so. First, the coaches and the people around didn't really believe that anything had happened, so they just kind of, like, dragged me off and sat me on the bench. And so then I snuck into my bag and, like, grabbed my phone and called my mom and was for, like, I broke my leg, like, come and pick me up. Um, she took me to emergency, and they, I don't think, really believed what was going on because I wasn't, you know, in a crate. Yeah, yeah. Just, I wasn't crying. I wasn't anything. Um, so they made me sit there for, you know, five hours almost mm. before... Me and my mom said, okay, we're leaving, which apparently you're not allowed to do, but we did it. Um, We left and we know like an imaging clinic closer to home. So we just went in there and got it done. And they said right away, like, yeah, it's broken. And then had to go back to emergency. And then they brought me right in. But it almost seemed like they were angry at me for like having left. They gave me some dude who it must have been his first time ever um, putting on a cast. He decided I need a cast this time instead of a splint. So he put on this really, really crappy cast from hip down to my toes. Oh my God. Um, but he did it in such a way that, like, he hadn't bent my knee at all. And so it was hanging. And I, my foot couldn't clear the floor, like, if I was on my crutches or trying to walk. So it was dragging behind me <laughs> and causing me a ton of pain. You're kicking the floor? That's kicking the floor. Yeah. Oh, so man. yeah, I went back in a couple of days later, and then they they cut it off. But at that point, like all my muscles had like locked in that position. So them trying to bend it, my my knee. I remember that being just excruciating.
0: Um, well, so I, let's let's stop here for a second because yeah. what's what's been fascinating to me uh, as we've had these conversations and we've worked together over the last uh, couple of years is you have this kind of curiosity, this like interest in the body, this um, sense of Well, just because it's done that way doesn't mean it should be done that way. Um, and you gravitate towards people who are doing things differently than maybe you learned in school or maybe is, is really common, uh, kind of in the, in, I guess, in in the culture uh, of, of fitness and strength and conditioning. And here we have you kind of, kind of getting this quote unquote standard care along the way. You're getting, Um, you know, ankle braces for your ankle sprains, you're getting, being told to ice and stretch and do clamshells and like all the basic kind of stuff and just deal with it. You'll grow out of it with, um, no real confidence that that's going to be the case. But knowing you, you must've had this sense of this doesn't make sense. Like it's not adding up because they're telling you one thing and your body's actually doing worse over time. So did you ever start to lose confidence in the people managing your care?
1: Um, it's hard at that age, right? Because you don't, you don't know any better. And you think that these are the people that make the money doing this. So they're, they're the professionals. Um, but I think, like you said, I always have had this curious mind and I've second guessed a lot of things. So it must have been there to some extent, but I can't really remember what that was like at that time. Um, I will say I remember really having a hard time with the growing pains piece, just based off of, you know, I knew a lot of other athletes that were my size or bigger that were doing just as much as I was, if not more, because they weren't in pain and could handle more. You know, they were playing more basketball, they were playing more other sports, and somehow, like, they weren't dealing with any of this. So,
0: I I always had a problem with that one, for sure. I want to get back to the story, but while we're on this topic of this kind of young athlete, um, as you're developing, like Looking back on it now, you, you mentioned your ankle stuff, but like what really separated you from another kid who has ankle sprains and it grows really quickly? Like, What do you think that was? Because we, we talk so much about um, the individual uh, case. You have to look at, well, yeah, sure, their posture is a little bit different or sure, they, they run with less than ideal mechanics, but that isn't enough for symptoms. We see a lot of people who are asymptomatic, who are very athletic, who don't have those things. So for someone like you who was athletic... Um, and, and maybe experience some of the biomechanical faults that many other people do, what stands out as you look back on your history compared to another kid you might have been playing with at the same time?
1: Um, I think it was kind of a, a perfect storm of all of those things that you just said. It was, you know, my movement patterns were really bad. Uh, but somehow my body still found these ways to produce a ton of force. Mm. And there were probably a bunch of safeties and checks that should have been in place to stop it from producing the force that it did, but it, it bypassed those. And so then the the stress that I then put on my my bones, my tendons, my ligaments would be higher than some others. Right? I think of some other athletes that we deal with who move really weird, but they can't move fast. They can't jump high because they move weird and their body can't, find a way around that to produce any meaningful force right. um, versus, you know, me. I'm the yes. exact opposite of that, right? Moving really poorly, but still somehow I could jump the highest. I could run really fast. I could throw a ball really hard. Yeah. And because of that, coaches were saying, great, you're doing awesome. Like, keep doing what you're doing. Yeah, um, But my body was just getting beat up.
0: Um, yeah, I think that's, that's kind of, you know, where I was going with this. Because I think it's really obvious that you were able to generate and forces that other people couldn't, and as a result, your body was having difficulty handling it, but like you said, those checkpoints, sure, maybe your body could exceed some of those in ways that other athletes couldn't, but you also had symptoms the entire time that were just being ignored and pushed through, and the ibuprofen and the icing and whatever you were doing, you're basically managing the symptoms without addressing the cause, and then even after uh, your first injury in grade 8 that tends to continue to be the case through to your second injury and I assume beyond yes. So it was not just that your body uh, Wasn't giving you the right signals. It was giving you signals and you just weren't responding to yeah. the signals it's Like yeah. the fire alarms going off and you're you're just ignoring it. Yeah. Even though there's a fire in the room next door yeah. um, You're just turning off the fire alarm and then it comes back yeah. on five minutes later And you just turn it off rather than actually seeing if there's a problem in the house. Definitely. Yeah, so Last question in that period of time up to that second injury, what kind of treatment were you getting? What was the rehab looking like? Did you feel confident in who you were dealing with? Did it, not, not even looking back on it at the time, what was that feeling like when you're going to rehab, when you're maybe not making the progress you would have expected or hoped for? So that's tough, right? I grew up with not a lot of money. We couldn't really afford
1: to do the full, the rehab and the care. Um, so I think after the first injury, I think I had very minimal rehab. Um, I think at that time, my uncle is a physio, but he lives here and we were in Guelph, so he would come and he would see me and do some stuff and give me some stuff to work on, and that's all we did. After the second injury, um, we realized that like something needed to be done, and we got in more frequently at a clinic close by, but it still, you know, it wasn't nearly enough. You know, I think we... Maybe I had six sessions, um, but over those six, do I think anything was changed? No. Right. Um, the person that I was seeing, um, was a chiropractor by trade and I found he would come, he would, you know, do a few little manipulations and then he would show me exercises and he would leave the room and that was, that was it. Right. Um, so I think after the six, you know, my mom asked me, do you think this is helping? Like if we have to keep doing this, like we'll, we'll find a way. Um, and I said, like, I think I can do just as
0: well on my own mm-hmm. and that was it. Is that when you start trying to figure stuff out yourself? Exactly. So after the second injury, grade ten, as you're kind of going through this recovery, or even before that,
1: maybe a little bit before that, I got pretty obsessed with the gym starting in grade nine. Um, I think because of the injuries that I had, um, I was a heavier kid as well, right, which contributed to again the the force that I had to deal with. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think yeah, starting in grade nine, I you know i just i fell in love with oh i can change the way that my body looks and feels if i dedicate the time to going into the gym um and i remember we've had this talk like that doesn't seem to be a big focus for you know you and your story and the people that you knew as athletes at that time but in Guelph like, that's all we, we all did. Getting in the gym and doing a thing.
0: Every, every day after school, we'd all go to the gym together kind of thing. Now, were you in, inventing stuff? Were you being creative? Or were you just kind it of... It was just whatever we could find.
1: It was mostly, you know, bodybuilding.com. And but, that's all we knew. And yeah. we thought that that was good enough. Um so that's what we did. Probably better than nothing at that yeah. point. Yeah, and I think we deal with enough kids who are down that path, and that's exactly what they're doing now, right? Yeah. I had my chest day. I had my leg day. I had my, <laughs> my buy-and-try day. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah, that's that's what I did for a long time.
0: Now, after that second injury, do things, does your focus change at all? Do you start to get more um, creative with your body at that point? Or are you still just, like, kind of going about your... Your bodybuilding.com uh, routines?
1: Um, I would say it was still a lot of that for sure because yeah. that carried into university even yeah. but it started to be like I would add little things here and there right I would think about my warm-up a little bit differently you know work as it was non-existent before um, then I would start trying to incorporate some of the drills that maybe my uncle was showing me at that time or just you know, social media wasn't really a thing, so you, you didn't see the the drills, you know, yeah. popping up all over the place. Um, but I do think that I I started to shift a little bit. I started to read a little bit more. Um, yeah,
0: yeah. Um, okay. So at that point, so you're in the middle of high school. You're, I assume you're starting to think about like what you want to do with your life. Talk to me about how those injuries impacted your experiences, because it sounds like yes. your physio experiences. And even, you know, it doesn't sound like you're working with any strength coaches at that point, but it sounds like you had this passion and interest in learning more about the body and working with it.
1: Yeah, I think um, because my whole world revolved around sport and then, you know, getting stuck kind of inside your own body and, you know, why does my body do this, right? Why do I feel this way when all I want to do is, you know, play sports? Um, It just, it was kind of all that I thought about Um, so just naturally, I wanted to do something, you know, sport and exercise related. And like you said, you know, my experiences with physio at that point, you know, were, were frustrating. Um, but also I knew that like, I hadn't given it a fair enough shot. I hadn't seen anybody regularly enough to, to write that off. Um, whenever my uncle did come to help me, I really, liked his approach to the body and the things that he did with me so i think that kind of um, set me in the direction of you know pursuing like my, my kinesiology degree
0: right um, so you go to ut and your plan is i want to be a physio okay because yeah
1: i like what my uncle does i want to work with athletes i want to understand the body better it's probably a big
0: one um
1: yeah, yeah yeah
0: so, okay. All right. So there you go. So you, first day you show up, you're gung ho, you're <laughs> in Toronto now. Yep. Um, talk to me about like what that experience was like and how you decide and determine kind of where you ended up in the years after that. Yeah,
1: I, I guess I was still, you know, I was still playing some sport and I was having other injuries. Um, I had like a really bad back at some point leading into university, just one of the jobs that I had to work to save money to go was in landscaping, and it was just, you know, brutal hours in the summertime, 14 hours cutting grass and pushing lawnmowers up and down hills, uh, but then in the winter, even worse, you're, you know, out the door at 4 a.m. to shovel properties and put um, salt down before the business is open, and I remember just shoveling you know, dirt off the truck and twisting funny and really mess my back up, and that would kind of be recurring, and I've dealt with it a few times since. Um, then, you know, my shoulder, the, I don't even remember what they called it then, was it a rotator cuff? Was it a partially torn shoulder? Was it all of the above? Um, trying to play competitive volleyball.
0: And then... Your
1: elbow, too. My elbow. Yeah, my elbow was after the shoulder. I think I just stopped being able to really use my shoulder and found a way around that. I would say that's something that my body is very good at right and we see that with other athletes too right if something doesn't work what's next i've got this and i think i
0: did that for a long long time and that's why the the symptoms just kept moving yeah. up the chain so you're borderline making the ut varsity basketball uh, volleyball team but you're dealing with you know now at this, this point you're 18 19s so you're dealing with like 10 years of ankle issues yeah. knee issues right shoulder and right elbow yeah and back and my back. Okay. And you're still able to play somehow. Yeah. Are you still on this like Advil kick of like constant? I think at that
1: point I had started making um, a lot of changes to my diet and paying more attention to um, nutrition's part in inflammation. And I think, you know, I was eating just a ton of processed and junky foods and they generally made my I noticed my skin was itchier and more dry and I sweat more and I was having more breakouts and as soon as I started to clean up my diet and get away from the processed foods, a lot of that stuff went away. And I think with that a lot of just even achiness through my joints kind of went away as well. So that was one of the first big light bulbs about, okay, if I could eat better. You know, maybe I would have less inflammation, and maybe I would
0: experience less pain Mm -hmm. over the long term. Again, I think I think it's fascinating for me. A lot of the different uh, people in the rehab or fitness industry have some story like what you're describing, where they've experimented and learned things about their body, and that makes them more effective in communicating that to other people. Because you're saying, "Like this happened to me," and and we can see from start to finish for you how much your experience with pain, with movement, with injury, with nutrition has all led to your passion and and your conviction in the approach that you use For sure um and you know i have firsthand um knowledge of uh, I guess secondhand knowledge if i think about it about what you could do in school in kin right we have uh, a, a friend here who uh who was with you in university and talks about how little you needed to work and how well you <laughs> did which reminds me of someone else um but Here you are, more than capable, passionate about this stuff, and starting to move in that direction. So, in theory, moving towards physio, which was your goal, would have been pretty straightforward. Yep. Talk to me about your thoughts around that, and what kind of led you to where you ended up ultimately going.
1: Yeah, I guess one of the the biggest things um, in my second year, part of the kinesiology degree, is you have a practical course, um... The big focus of this course is learning about exercise and the way the human body uh, moves and how to see movement and how to coach and cue it. And I think it might have been the first day of this course and the instructor was teaching us a little bit about squat patterns and we were doing whatever activity and he said, Damien, like, your squat is shit. (laughs) (laughs) That's the way he said it to me too, right? In front of the class and I went screw you. (laughs) Like, like I'm an athlete. Like I squat in the gym all the time. I lift big weight. Like I jump high, I move quickly. How, like, how dare you? Right. Um, but after the, the shock and the hurt, um, he, you know, he, he took me aside and he showed me some drills and showed me, um, you know, ways to improve my squat and things, why my squat was not good. Um, and it just, you know, light bulbs went off. Wow. wow. Like, nobody's told me this in all of my years, um, you know, time in the gym and all of the sports that I've played. Um, nobody has told me, you know, squatting is jumping. And (laughs) if you can't squat, you know, with body weight to some degree of success, chances are every rep that you take while jumping looks pretty crummy too. Um, and for sure that was the case. Yeah. Um, so I just started to pay a lot more attention to the way that I move and that led me down this crazy rabbit hole, which started with, um, with the supple leopard and Kelly Starrett stuff and the mobility wad and all of these stretching and mobility routines, you know, I don't have enough mobility at the hips and the ankles and I need to spend an hour before I work out stretching just to be ready for activity. Um, and and that was good for a while until I realized, like, this is insane. Like, clearly, you know... There's... Even when you're in school, there's yeah. that kind of time, but it's just not realistic. Yeah, not realistic. And, you know, if I have to keep doing the same stretch every day before I do activity, and then I lose the range of motion again, which is how I always felt no matter what I did, then still there's something missing. Right. Um, but I was obsessed with the movement piece. Um, I was more and more frustrated by the physio piece um, while I was playing volleyball, we did have access to physio through the school, and I thought it was a joke. Um, I didn't I didn't feel like I was getting
0: the help that I needed. Um, was that different than what you had when you were a kid?
1: No, I think it was basically the exact same, and that was the problem.
0: Did you put a university physio clinic on a pedestal, or were you just surprised that... In the last seven years, they were... were, were, uh... Yeah, they
1: were still where they were at. Um, They were doing, you know, the same tests and checks, and they were giving me the same exercises to do.
0: That you knew didn't work, because they didn't work when you were 14. They're not going to work when I'm 20. Exactly.
1: Um, And I think probably I'd put it on a pedestal a little bit, too, because, you know, yes, it was a university clinic, but it it was a nice facility, and they're treating all of, you know, University of Toronto's varsity athletes. Right. So to me, that meant, you know, that's the best that our athletes can get in this country. In yeah. In theory. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I remember being quite frustrated and I spoke to my uncle quite a bit and he said, look, like he, he loves his job, but he's also very frustrated with certain aspects of it. You know, you'll see the same people once a week and you'll try to give them things to do and they won't do it and they'll come back in and be in the same spot that they were. Um so I think, you know, my frustration with the experience and hearing about some of his concerns with it um, and at the same time just falling more and more in love with just the exercise piece mm. and, you know, just spending more time in the gym and focusing on my own body um,
0: really led me down that road. Was there like a, like a moment or like a did the bubble burst at one point where you're like, damn. Everything, like this physio thing that I thought I was destined towards, it, it's just not going to work. Do you remember making that active so, decision that physio is not going to be the direction I go in?
1: Um, I think it was more from the other side. It was more from the exercise side. So in my before going into my third year, I really wanted to make a push and try to play volleyball again. Um, and so I, I had moved home for the summer. Um, and I had... Found a strength and conditioning coach. You know that had um, lots of people had great things to say about him. I know he had worked with some young um, talented athletes, some that had made it to the NHL. Want to give a shout out? Yeah, that's, that's my buddy. His name's Al uh, Al Mercelin, and okay. he works in Guelph. He's awesome. So any kids that are in Guelph should be seeking him out okay. big time. All
0: right. Um, so you I, reach out to him? Or? I reached
1: out. To, I I was just I, I don't initially know how it came to be, to be honest. But same, we ended up in the same place, same time, and I asked for help, he said yes, and um, the program that he put me on and the way that he got me thinking about the body made me feel better than any treatment I had received in the physio space. Right. In, again, a decade. Yep. Yep, he really got me thinking about stability in the body you know, and balance, structural balance, Um, and it was just a game changer, and my body felt amazing, you know, I never moved so well, you know, jumped so high, Um, just felt so confident in my body's ability to perform and respond to the things that it needed to, Uh, way less knee pain, less ankle, less shoulder, all of that stuff, so I felt great while I was doing that, and that just, that was enough for me to be like, this is what I want to do, I'm not a very dedicated student, clearly. So, am I going to switch this around in my third and fourth year to really make this push, or is this good enough? And am I just gonna do what I love? And yeah. mm, that's that's that was easy. It's an easy call. Well,
0: you know, I, obviously, I, I I love that part of the story about you. Kind of, you know, when everything kind of comes together and you realize what your purpose is and how you can influence people the way you always wanted to. Yeah. Um, for me, uh, I was actually very similar. I did enough to get by and was smart enough. Um, but it was actually after I graduated physio school. Like, I got a lot further into it, being like, well, you know, this is the thing. I had applied to med school and hadn't gotten in and then I was in physio school. And um, I was still, just, you know, I, I, I love the people and I love that environment, but it hadn't totally clicked with me. I didn't see the path to be able to affect people and a degree of expertise. Like, it didn't seem like a, there, there was a clear way to get there and uh, it was actually when I took the McMaster acupuncture course that I was like oh okay now I get it now I know it's a ton of work but if I apply myself I can achieve the level of success and the ability to influence people's pain and movement in a way that I just I didn't see a way I could get yeah. there period and yeah. then suddenly saw the way and it was like okay then I started applying myself because yeah. it started to make sense yeah and I haven't looked back and I You know, I I used to say that I was lazy before, but I realize now I just didn't have my passion. And it sounds like you're very similar in that that regard. Yeah, because
1: it's hard to say I'm lazy if I'm willing to then spend almost four hours of every day, you know, reading and training and just obsessing about the stuff that I do like. Right. And it's like, oh, I don't care so much about, you know writing essays on why people aren't active because of the barriers in their community, right? Like, it's, it's, it's,
0: <laughs> it's just not your, it yeah. doesn't get, get you up in the morning. right? exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, I, yeah I, I totally um, see where that comes from. And I think that's what uh, resonated with me when we first started to, to meet and have these conversations. You could just Not only was it the story and how you got here, but it was how you kind of connected with what you did on a level that, had this burning desire, the ability and the willingness to invest time and money and resources into like learning, acquiring new skills. Like every couple of weeks, you've got a new toy that you're getting. And, and uh, it's all about just figuring things out and solving problems and, and making sure you have the tools and the experience and the creativity needed to solve these complex problems. And, and I think that's, that's what makes us such a good fit because I'm looking at it from a different perspective. Um, but we're both just trying to solve this puzzle that is the body and we're not willing to just dig our feet in and say, this is the way we do things. Agreed. Definitely. Yeah. It's awesome. Um, so I, I want to touch on kind of the, that, that next piece of that story as we just kind of come full circle, because if I cut the story a little bit shorter, obviously you do uh, some work, you're, you're uh, teaching at UT for a while, yeah. you start coaching volleyball, which yeah. is obviously a passion of yours and you start working with young athletes. And, uh, you know, kind of the next uh, point of friction for you, it sounds like, is working with those teams and the challenges that you encountered along that way. So do you want to talk to me a little bit about what that was like?
1: Yeah. um, It was difficult for me because I was already convinced that strength training as an athlete is needed. Mm -hmm. And I never expected that I would run into the roadblock of people not understanding the importance of it, or dedicating time and resources to it. Um, And that's what I just kept running into time and time again, right? Well, they're already playing, they don't need to do this extra stuff. I was like, no, they should not play, and they should do this stuff. Um, But you can't convince people of that. And I remember just dealing with the coaches, their perception of what's needed and what they should be doing, and the athletes, what they think they should be doing, because of what they've seen on social media versus the parents because of what they did while they were kids almost. <laughs> right. It's like, it was good enough for me. Uh, well, yeah. That's all my kid needs. Right. Yeah. And, um, so a ton of frustration, but mostly just learning, um, a lot of learning about, you know, where we are at, I think as a society and prioritizing these things mm-hmm. and, you know, still the work that we need to do in order to convince people, um, that they need to invest in the way that they move, and their ability to produce and absorb
0: force you know, at Yeah, the time. We talk about, yeah, the ability to disperse and absorb. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing, generate, absorb force. Um, you know, touching on those, those organizations, those sports organizations, if we just move outside of volleyball, because it's across the board here, there's some sports where strength and conditioning is like part and parcel. For instance, um, you know, I know uh, swimmers tend to do uh, a bunch of stuff. I know track athletes do a bunch of stuff. Um, I know a lot of dry lands for uh, figure skaters. Hockey obviously is quite common, but there's some sports where there's just there's no concept uh, of of that. Not, I you know we're obviously working in squash, and there's very little non squash specific movement patterning that they're teaching. Um, with basketball, obviously we know, and volleyball, it's just like jump more. And it's like, yeah. But you just spent, you just spent two
1: hour practice yeah. jumping. Why do you need yeah. to jump in the gym? Or you know, you still have coaches saying, okay, you need conditioning. Like get a jump rope and just jump rope. No, yeah. anything else for yeah.
0: conditioning right now? Yeah, His we, body is beat up. Anything we, work, else? we work with Mike uh a uh, uh, high level you know, pro squash player here, and he uh, keeps injuring himself sprinting, hill sprints. Ah, yeah, I pulled my hamstring. What, what Why are you, what are you, why are you why? sprinting? Yeah. Um, so there's a lot of misconceptions around, around uh, athletes and, and preparing their body. And obviously we see more, you know, we now have the resources. There are people doing the best things at the highest levels. Um, but it's about trying to translate it to the kind of the, the athlete at the grassroots level and the parents and the coaches. And I'm, I'm going to kind of assume hopefully that most coaches aren't, Making the decision that well we make more money if they're on the court longer and rather they just don't know I'm going to hope that it's mostly that yeah, and they don't they've got too much going on to listen or adjust their programming based on what we're trying to share with them uh, but it is definitely a, a point of frustration uh, that we encounter all the time yeah is is there a clear path to you for in your mind like what would that look like what would an ideal scenario look like how do we move towards convincing. Uh, coaches, parents, kids? Is there a way to do it at scale rather than individually, kid by kid, parent by parent? It's tough. Um, Yeah, that buy-in
1: piece is really tough and what does it take to get one athlete, parent, coach to commit isn't the same as the others. Um, But I think, from what I've seen, coaches want to do the best for their athletes, right? And I think you would agree on that. So they need to at least commit to assessments they need to have every athlete assessed by somebody other than them i think that that should be an easy sell to every coach out there right i want more information about my athlete right i want someone who is a professional in this space to take a look at them and tell me what do they need more of do they need help who should be helping them Um, i think until that happens you can't even get into
0: the other stuff too much you just have to start by just like observing and then presenting the data presenting information you know all your kids are uh are suffering from these kinds of injuries or they all are doing well in this aspect but there are signs that they might not be doing well in others yeah we
1: can show enough patterns hopefully they say okay i see that this is a real thing that needs attention what do you recommend yeah right and i think that's kind of the approach that we've been taking because we've had all these goals of oh we're going to you know, assess and do all of these programs. We're going to train all of these kids and we see, okay, like clearly that's just too much right now, but can we just at least get them checked out? And mm. that's, that's the starting point.
0: So if we're, if we have a, a physiotherapist, a chiropractor, a strength coach, someone in kin or in high school is really just interested in this stuff, Yeah. how, like, what's your recommendation? If, if someone asks you, how do I get involved? How do I learn more about uh, about the body, about movement patterns. Like, do you have some resources? Do you have some people that they should speak to? Like, like if if you go back to your eighteen-year-old self who wanted to be a physio to, to change the, um, you, you know, the lives and the movement capabilities of, of athletes, what would you tell your former self about? You know, absorb these pieces of knowledge. You know, read these things. Keep these concepts in mind. What's the what's the mentality there? It's going to sound a little, I guess,
1: cliche at this point, but like I think the thing that helped me the most were the people that I met, so the mentors that I dealt with, right, Al and my uncle, um, I think, you know, if I had found Al when I was first dealing with this stuff, right, it would have been completely different if I had learned to move properly then, right, so I think, um, finding a good strength coach, right, is is a big deal, but just mentorship in general, um, Other than that, resources I really like, I wish I remembered the name of the book right now. Um, But the person that wrote it's name is Bill Parisi. He has, he's a very well-known strength coach. Um, He runs a lot of gyms in the U.S. and deals with a lot of speed athletes. And he really um, focuses on kind of the, the full, the nervous system. And that's why it really resonated with me and sunk in. And it was less about, okay individual muscle groups and individual joints but how do they all work together Mm -hmm. and it really is relevant to a lot of the work that we do with the red cord and if I had found that sooner too I think it would have been a game changer but it's still uh, really influencing the way that I train athletes. Sounds good.
0: Yeah. All right well look this was this is a lot of fun we obviously have so much more to talk about because we do this all the time we can dive into specific cases we can dive into um you know a little more of our individual experiences, some of the you know specific injuries you had, areas you would have focused on differently. Um, rehab process in an ideal world for someone with your injuries like yeah. it goes on and on and on. Like, thoughts on the actual movement patterns that yeah. were broken, right? It's, it's,
1: that's fun, stuff. yeah.
0: So, we'll we'll get back on this uh sometime soon and chat more about this. But in the meanwhile, thanks a lot for coming, man. Yeah, I'm, I'm really happy, to, yeah. to get you on this. First and uh, hopefully, your story resonates with coaches, with therapists, with strength coaches. With athletes, and just starts getting people thinking a little bit more about uh, trying to prevent the the, um, the next uh, next athlete like yourself uh, suffering the way you had to, even though ultimately maybe it's produced a lot more goodness throughout the whole movement and the athletic world. So like that. I thank a you, man.